We are in week four and uh, hitting up now our second of our core values. We began with watchfulness. Now we're going to do spend a couple of weeks talking about authenticity. One of the things that I've heard numerous times uh, over the years uh, that I've been part of Coastal is how much people appreciate that we're real and we're kind of who we are and we're authentic. It's one of our core values, so I'm really glad that comes through. But it's important for all of us, all right? So uh, we're going to address that this morning. I do want to uh, just say one more thing. For those of you who have never uh, been baptized, never followed the Lord in obedience in the waters of baptism, it is a it is a public declaration, particularly to uh, the people that you worship and fellowship with, and it'll kind of come in under accountability uh, when we get there. But um, if that's never been true of you, you've, never, you've, you've trusted in Christ, but you've never been baptized, we are going to be having a, a class after the second service for the next two Sundays, next week and the week after. We're giving you lunch and everything, but I need you to sign up so we know. Okay, so uh, we'll get through it. We'll work through the gospel. We'll work through your testimony, what to share. We'll get it uh, organized and scheduled so you can get a video. You don't even have to stand up in front of people and talk, okay? Uh, all you got to do is, you know, suffer through watching yourself on a video. <laughs> but, uh, and that's not always easy either. But anyway, so if you've never been baptized... Uh, by all means, I would encourage you, get that on your Connect card, okay? Let us know so we can uh, plan appropriately for next Sunday, okay? All right, authenticity. We are coming up at the end of this month. Whatever your opinion on Halloween, it's coming, right? And uh, there are going to be kids and maybe not so many, not such kids coming by your house all dressed up in costumes uh, with masks intended to represent something other than who they are. And it's all fun and good, right? It's all, it's all enjoyable, and we tell them how cute they are and give them a little you know, sugar rush to go and all of that. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Everybody knows they don't really look like that, or we assume they don't really look like that, um, that they're just pretending. I'm concerned that uh, too often in the church, too often in our Christian lives, we live in kind of a Christian Halloween, right? We have our masks we wear, probably more so on Sunday morning than any other time of the week, right? We got to show up. We got to look good because when you come to church, I mean, we're coming to church after all, so we can't look bad in church. And uh, so we, we get out our masks and we cover and we want to make sure we present the image that we want people to see. Well, I want us to stop doing that, okay? I, I understand you don't want to come to a public gathering of people and start airing your dirty laundry and be your most miserable self either. I get that. But I want us to learn to live authentically, but not just Sunday mornings. I want us to learn to live authentically all week long. That's really harder than it sounds, right? We, we talk about it. We say, man, I just want to be an authentic Christian. And sometimes I think we view authentic as uh, I'm just going to blather on about all my weaknesses and all my struggles and, oh, everything's so bad for me, right? I guess I'll, what, I, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms or whatever that little thing is. Um, it, that's not authenticity, Authenticity is being honest about our struggles and being honest with other people about what we're doing to change our struggles and helping each other through it, which is where accountability will come in in a few weeks. 
But I want to talk today about the first portion, because here's how we have defined authenticity as it relates to coastal. This isn't Webster's or anything. This is just how we view it and what we do with it. Authenticity is living a holy life in honesty and transparency with God and others so that the gospel will be clearly seen. So we're not talking about authenticity from the vantage point of telling everybody how awful we really are inside. We're talking about authenticity here from the vantage point of, I want to live a holy life, and I don't want that to just be something that other people think I live. I genuinely want to live a holy life before God and before other people. So that's where we're at today, okay? We'll come to accountability and all of that later on in our series. But for today, this is living a holy life honestly, coming at it honestly, not just when I'm around people and I want them to think I'm living a holy life, but actually genuinely living a holy life. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you want to find your way there, I want to begin by talking about the preparation for this, because I think part of the problem is we don't recognize what a battle this is going to be. This is going to be brutal. There's nothing easy about living a holy life. That's why I don't like to, uh, I, I don't like the kind of conception that occasionally we give to people. By the way, I notice up here, you may not like this, but we've now added the countdown clock to the actual clock. So I know it's 10 o'clock, but the countdown clock tells me I still have 39 minutes to preach. So. <laughs> When I was going by the clock, I tried to get out at 10.30. So anyway, uh, now I get to preach longer. Um, now I lost my place. Anyway, First Peter chapter 1, preparation. We give people, I know where I was headed, we, we give people the idea that, man, come trust in Jesus, life is good, he's going to bless you, you're going to be joyful and all these good things, which all those things are true. But we forget to tell people that you are, when you trust in Christ, you are about to enter a battle, and it's a battle for your own holiness, because that's going to happen to you. You are going to increasingly become holy, both it's going to happen and you're going to work at it. We'll get to that in a minute, but it's going to be a war. And that's why I believe in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, Peter begins with this thought. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's really one thought there, and that is that we are to set our hope on the grace that will be revealed. That's kind of the main thought of that sentence. But there are two things that lead us up to being able to do that. So let's start with those, shall we? This is all about preparation here in verse 13, and it starts with our thinking. Prepare your minds for action. If anybody in here has the, the old King James, it says in there, gird up the loins of your mind. It is reminiscent of the picture from the Old Testament where people with their long flowing robes, when they were ready to get moving and get something done, they'd grab the robes and tuck them all around and tuck them into the belt, the girdle that is talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, 
and, and they would be girding up their clothing so they could get something done. That's the same picture that's here. They wanted freedom of movement. They wanted to be ready to go because this is going to take effort. Prepare your mind. A life of holiness does not just happen. A life of holiness is something that takes place and it is done to you. We'll come to that in a minute, but it doesn't just happen automatically without you cooperating and participating in the process. It's going to take effort. We have to be mentally prepared for a battle. There's nothing easy or comfortable about a battle for holiness. There's nothing easy about it largely because everything around you tends to want you to lead a, be led astray, right? I love the line in that song, prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Do you, do you feel it? Do you, do you get that in your own heart? Do you, do you sense when you've had a season of time when you've not been faithful in your devotional life or you haven't been involved in prayer, you haven't been connected to other Christians in your life or you haven't been in church and you find yourself, your mind is wandering on to things that you don't need to be thinking about, maybe, maybe sinful things, maybe just things that are distracting you from the holiness that God wants to develop in your life. I, I have no idea why this quote came to my mind. It's not like I commonly read... Um, uh, people like Marcus Aurelius, but I think he's the one who made this quote that I read years ago. Your mind is colored, the, the, it's dyed the color of your continuous thoughts. Your mind is dyed the color of the things you spend most time thinking about. It's really important to understand that we're going to have to have a prepared mind if we're going to be able to, to get our hope set firmly on the grace that is ours in Christ. Secondly, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. It's really the opposite of mental fuzziness. I thought of this yesterday. I was up bright and early yesterday, and Mitch and I went and spent a couple hours on the boat in the morning, and, and I was tired by, you know, right after lunch, got a little food in me, and I sat down in a chair, and next thing I knew, it was an hour later. And I woke up, and I was, you know how when you first wake up, you got to kind of shake it out a little bit, and you're, you're not clear, and of course, he's not that way. I mean, when Mitchell wakes up, he's up. And he starts asking questions. Are we going out to dinner? Are we going here? Are we doing this? Are we going to Waynesburg? What are we doing? I know I'm embarrassing the snot out of him. I'm sorry, buddy. And I'm, I'm like, just, can you just give me five minutes to wake up? I can't think right yet, right? That's mental fuzziness. That we have to get rid of that, right? If we're going to live holy lives... We've got to get rid of mental fuzziness. That means we've got to get in control of our thought process. We've got to decide what's going to go in to make sure we're thinking clearly when it comes to spiritual things. Don't let anything cloud your thinking. That can be substances, that can be relationships, that can be input that you're taking in, whether it's from the internet or your phone or wherever it is, whatever you're reading, those, we've got to be careful of what we're taking in. Remember, the, I haven't heard this phrase in a lot of years, but it still really applies. Garbage in, garbage out, right? If we're not careful of what we take in, it affects our thinking, which always 
affects our holiness. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We are in charge of what we think about. Don't ever make the mistake of, I just can't help it. It just keeps coming to my mind. I'm in charge of what I think about. I can't help the things that come to my mind, but I can help whether I focus on them and keep thinking about them. I can replace them with things that are more appropriate to be thinking about, things that will lead me to holiness. So there is something to be said about our thinking, but our thinking prepares us to focus on our confidence which has nothing to do with us, right? Our confidence is in the grace that comes to us. End of verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The process isn't over. You're not done being sanctified yet. You're not done being made holy. The grace of God that saved you and made you in your position holy before God is, in the, is the same grace that is in the process of transforming you. We're going to talk a little about more, more about that here in just a second, but this is, this is where we place our hope. It's just the word hope, which we usually think of as a noun. I have hope, I have this, I have that, but it's a, it's a verb where it's written here. Hope, do it. Put your hope in this in the grace that will come to you, that'll be fully realized when Jesus comes back. Could somebody get me a bottle of water? I'm preaching. Oh, thanks. He just wants me to preach a long time, so when he preaches next week and doesn't go as long, he'll look better. I I get it. (laughs) Our confidence is in the grace that we receive in the person of Jesus Christ, we're going to fully realize it someday, and our confidence is in it right now. You are the man. Thank you, sir. And it's also budget time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I had, a, had an experience that I was thinking about this just last evening as I was kind of going over this in my mind again for today. I played uh, basketball in high school and uh, loved it. Had a great time, enjoyed basketball. Uh, Can't jump near as high as I used to, but um, I played on a a really good team. Our team was really good a couple of years, and we had a couple of years that we were really not good. In fact, one year, we were so bad that our record was three wins, 14 losses. Several of them were close, we would console ourselves by saying. But I remember at the end of one game, honestly, I'm out on the court, we're getting our butt kicked again, but we had caught up and it was a close game. And I'm in the court, I'm out on the court, I'm not even paying attention to the game. I'm like, Lord, please, can we just win one more game? And I don't think we did, but because uh, we were really horrible. Usually, we, I, I used to like coach young kids and playing basketball too. And I'm like, come on, any team can beat any other team on the right day. If you come in there ready to win, we can do this. We could not. We never had that confidence. We were horrible. We didn't have the ability. We didn't have the skill and nobody else was coming in to rescue us. Okay. We were just bad. 
We're not that way as believers in Jesus Christ. He has won, right? We're not wondering who's going to win this war. The war is over. But there are some skirmishes still, right? There are some battles going on. So we need to talk about our determination. So what's our part in it? What are we doing in this process? Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There is some determination in these words. As obedient children, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to your former passions. Don't let the things that used to define you define you anymore. Don't let your previous desires be the things that still drive you today. Don't let that be true. That's, that's on you. That's on me, right? I have a decision to make. Am I going to be governed by the passions and the desires and the longings that were mine? Paul said to the Romans, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's Philip's translation of Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed. 1 John chapter 2 talks about the passions and the desires. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is not from the Father, but it is from the world. When I let the things that that stir up my fleshly desires or my, the, the desires of my eyes. I, I think that has a lot to do with greed and want, right? Or my pride that gets the attention focused on me, lets me think about the, all I am and all that I have, makes me feel good about myself. When my attention is focused on trying to f- pursue those things, I'm not going to pursue holiness because sometimes holiness makes me feel horrible right? If I'm going to pursue holiness, I've got to acknowledge I've got stuff in my life that's just rotten, and I've got to root this out. I don't feel good about myself. One of the worst things, in case you ever wonder, what, what do I say to the preacher when I leave? Please don't say, thanks, I, that really made me feel better. I mean, sometimes I'm glad if I do that. I want to encourage you, but if you find yourself saying that every week, you're not listening, right? Some of you understand what I'm saying. I'm not I've said it before, right? My job is either to comfort the disturbed or disturb the comfortable. And I think that goes to most of us because we come in here reasonably comfortable each week. Don't be conformed to your former ignorance, just the way you thought before that was completely understandable. It frustrates me when people get mad at, at their friends who are in the world who are not followers of Christ, and they're like, I can't believe they're doing that, and we're trying. What do you expect? 
They're not followers of Christ. Why, would, why should they be interested in the things of God? I'm more concerned about Christians who are still thinking that way. And I'm not even talking about the things that are blatantly sinful. I'm just talking about the desires that the world says, man, this stuff is really important. Don't get squeezed into that mold. But rather, verse 15 says, as he who, has, who called you is holy, you also be holy. So there's our goal. There's, our, there's the direction. There's the, the reflection that we're trying to give to people is holiness similar to the holiness of God who is completely set apart from sin, right? Who is completely set apart to his own glory. I'm to be holy because God is. And because I am to be a reflection of who he is, which, and there's a word in here, when it says be holy, it really literally says become holy. It's a, it's a word that's written both in kind of, a, kind of a past tense sort of feel, but it's also an imperative. So it's something that happened to me in my, in my relationship with God. I've been made holy. If I'm in Christ and God looks at me and sees me as completely righteous, that's incredible. But in the process of time, I am becoming holy. I am becoming more and more like Christ. That's what I have to be pursuing. That's why it takes determination. His holiness should increasingly replace our natural character of lust and evil appetites. A spiritual transformation needs to take place which displaces our character of sin by his character of holiness. I love that picture. My determination is such that I am participating in this process that the holy character of God is increasingly displacing my character, which was evil and opposed to the things of God. Two attitudes will help in the process. One is this. I should remember that my sin always affects other people. Always. I don't believe there's any such thing as private sin. There are, there are sins that you commit in private, but they always affect other people. Your, what you view on the internet or what you do with your money in private, what you, what you accomplish when you're at work and nobody's looking or don't accomplish, those things affect other people. Always, at the very minimum, the things that I do in private affect how I think and how I function and how I, how I react and interact with the people around me, and it affects them. We never sin in a vacuum. My sin always affects other people. And I have to be honest about my sin. Determination requires that I be honest about my sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to confess it. We have to agree with God about what it is. One of the things that impresses me about David's repentance in Psalm 51, when he said to God in verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned, and done evil. We, we're too easy on ourselves, I think. We're like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was not a good decision. Oh, that was a bad choice. Or was it evil? 
Did I sin against God? We have to be honest with ourselves if we're ever going to forsake the things that are keeping us from making progress in holiness. I have to be honest about my sin, honest with myself, honest with God, which is kind of silly, right? Because, I mean, he knows what it is. It's not like my being honest is going to be a revelation to God. But there's something very important about me being honest enough with God to say, you know, that wasn't just a bad choice. I sinned. I did evil in your sight. There's determination involved. And it is related, lastly, to exaltation. Verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let me just stop in the middle of that sentence. The fear of God. We don't hear it talked about all that terribly much anymore. The fear of God is really important in this process of holiness. We need to exalt God and... and, uh, acknowledge who he is and that is going to create a certain element of fear now i know we're all very quick to say yeah but it's not being afraid it's awe that's true and i'm going to talk about that but can i quickly say my kids are all grown so they are really ultimately not answerable to me anymore i certainly you know can't turn them over my knee anymore um When my kids were little, I never wanted them to be afraid of me. Like they didn't like it when I came into the room or they cowered in a corner somewhere. But I tell you what, I wanted them when they did something wrong, I wanted them to be afraid. I wanted them to know there were going to be consequences. I wanted them to know I can't do this. My kids would come home from school and say, my friend was saying such and such and such and such. And I said to them, if I said that, if I talked to my father like that, he'd kill me. Now, of course, I wouldn't actually kill them, but I didn't correct them either because I wanted them to know you don't talk like that to me. You don't talk like that to your mother. I wanted a little bit of fear, right? Not, Not cowering in a corner, but it's a fear that leads us to respect. It's a fear that leads us to to awe. Acts chapter 2 talks about how the early church continued in the, in the apostles' uh, teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And then it says, and awe came on every soul. The more they understood who God was, the more they got a picture of the greatness of God, the more they learned about who God was and who they were by comparison, the greater their awe rose. So yeah, there is a little sense of fear. I mean, you drive a car, I hope you have a little sense of fear of what might happen if you don't follow the rules of the road. Bad things could happen to you and other people. It's not that you're driving around cowering and shuddering because, oh no, something terrible might happen. But there is this sense of of awe. And listen... It's not the point, but I love that little phrase in there during the time of your exile. We're here a little while, right? We're not home. Our home is with God. Our home is not here. And so we have this period of time that, that is talked about several times in the scriptures as being our, our, egg, our time of exile. We're not where we're supposed to be. We're where we're supposed to be for right now, but we're not ultimately where we're going to be. I love that picture We're not from here, and our primary loyalty ought to be to the king of heaven. 
So there is the fear of God that's involved in this exaltation. And then there is a, a remembrance, a little understanding about our ransom from sin. Verse 18, knowing, conduct yourselves throughout this time of your exile with fear, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We were told before, don't be, don't be kind of conformed to that. Don't be squeezed into the mold of the way you used to think. You were ransomed from those feudal ways, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with precious, the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were ransomed. We were set free. Mark 10 talks about Jesus and said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus purchased us out of the mess that we had been and that we had been in. Empty, futile ways, like a love of the world, a desire to please self, even an attempt to earn God's favor by doing the right thing. We were ransomed. We were bought out of all that stuff, liberated from it. And I love this next sentence. Not with perishable things like silver and gold. Why would you want to have that stuff when you can have the grace of God? It's not with the stuff that's going to fade away, and yet we give so much attention to that, right? We want to make sure our security is there. Man, when I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm getting to the age where I'm at least thinking long term. I'm a little more about retirement, and man, I want to be secure and He reminds us that our ransom, our liberation was not gained by perishable stuff like silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. Do I have all of these verses up here? Colossians 1.20, this is talking about Jesus through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which we have experienced lavishly, but has not yet been fully revealed, according to the earlier part of this text, right? Indeed, Hebrews 9 says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You were ransomed. If you're in Christ, you were liberated from what used to be, what used to be your desires and your goals and your ambitions and your preferences, all of that stuff that used to govern you and now governs your friends who are still not in Christ and are of the world, now you've been liberated, you've been set free from that. You don't have to let those things govern you anymore, and it is part of your progress of holiness. bought for you with the blood of Christ. What an incredible thing. So let me give you a couple thoughts to take with you. One, holiness is hard. Be prepared for a battle. There's nothing easy about living a holy life. There is nothing whatever about walking in holiness, walking on the path of righteousness. It is just 
it's not easy because my heart is prone to wander because there is this this tendency in me to not want to go after the the righteousness that is Christ because there are things around me that are distracting me that are that are taking my attention off of the things of God there are things all around me that are attracting my mind and my thinking holiness is hard we have to be prepared for a battle next i know this is this this phrase really sounded better when i made it up than as i'm looking at it last night and this morning. The indicative comes before the imperative. I know that really sounds cool, but it makes no sense until I explain it. So, so let me give it to you this way. You have to be right before God before you can begin to live right before God. You have to be a child of God by faith in Christ. You have to have been declared righteous in the sight of God by believing in the gospel and receiving Jesus, that has to happen first. Then you can become holy. Don't get them backwards. Don't think to yourself, man, I'm going to really work hard at being holy this week and hopefully God will be pleased with me. Number one, he won't. The scriptures are clear. There's nothing we can do to earn this, right? We can't, we can't just do good enough and God will say, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. Good for you. No, even our righteousness, according to Isaiah, is like a filthy rag in the sight of God. We can't earn God's favor. We get his favor first, then we get to live for him. Don't ever get it backwards. The indicative, what is true of you, happens before the imperative, the command to be righteous, to be holy. And then lastly, authenticity makes the gospel shine brightly. If I had to pick the complaint that I hear from people in the world about churches, the thing I've heard more than anything else far and above the rest of them is our hypocrisy. We say we love God and we don't live like it. We say we love God. We say we're church people. We say we're Christian people and then we don't live like it. Now, some of the accusations are simply based on their own false standard of what we should do and they're trying to manipulate us. I get it. But I really wonder if we could... If we could have a, you know, a, a, what do you call it? GoPro, whatever it is, and, and wear it around, unbeknownst to ourselves for even half a day, I wonder if we'd want it shown up here on Sunday morning. I wonder, would we want people to see how we're thinking, how we're living, what we're doing? Is our life authentically holy? We come in here and we sing and we worship and we lift our hands to the Lord and and we should do that. And I realize that you don't have to come in here perfect to honor God in worship. But I wonder if that's happening in our heart, if our life is reflecting that kind of holiness throughout the week. That's authenticity. Authenticity is not just telling everybody, yeah, I'm a really rotten sinner. I'm really struggling with stuff. Sure, that's, that's part of authenticity. But authenticity is genuinely being holy, genuinely striving after holiness, genuinely seeking to walk with God so the gospel can shine brightly. Because then people look at your life and say, good night, look what has happened to that person. What in the world took place that makes you want to live like that? It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you... I've, I've really never talked to anybody that was involved with a person who loved Jesus wholeheartedly that thought, I don't want to be around them. I mean, Jesus was perfectly holy, right? And crowds came to him. Holiness doesn't drive people away. Inauthentic holiness drives people away. 
So listen, do we want to shine the gospel brightly? Do we want to live authentic, holy lives? I hope you do. I really hope you do. It's one of the things we say drives our core of our being at Coastal. We want to be authentic. We genuinely want to follow after God, not so that people will think we're something we're not, but so we'll genuinely be people who are passionate about the things of God. I hope that's true for you too. Our team's going to come back. We're going to sing a a song and celebrate as we leave, but before we do, I'm going to pray and uh, remind you, if you like decorating and things like that. There's a meeting in my office right after this service. Listen, let's pray. Father, it's really hard to preach a sermon like this. Uh, I confess to you uh, before my brothers and sisters that my daily life isn't always reflective of what I just preached about. It's really hard sometimes. So I'm asking that you would renew in me a right spirit, that you would give me uh, joy in my salvation, a, a wonderful reminder of the grace of Jesus that gave me the privilege of being in a right standing before you. And Lord, give me a determination to walk in holiness in my relationship with my wife and my kids and my co-workers and and my neighbors and my friends that I hang out with. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Lord, would, would you build within us a longing to be authentically holy and to increase, to watch your holy character displace our character that we know is faulty and flawed. So I pray that you would challenge us this morning, Lord. Give us Uh, a great confidence in in you, the everlasting God who never changes. May May we strive daily to walk with you, not to earn your favor, but because we have it, wanting to walk with you in a way that will show gratitude for that. So thank you, Father, for your grace to us in Jesus, in whose name I